It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Good afternoon and welcome to Left vs. Right. My name is Anthony Weiner, joined uh, by Curtis Sliwa. He'll be coming in at the top of the hour. So great to have you along on this balmy Saturday afternoon here on WABC Talk Radio. It's so great that you're joining us today. Today is one of those days where finally feel summer in the air. I guess we just skipped clear through the spring and we're going straight into the summer. And uh, lots of exciting things going on, exciting things going on. In sports, the Rangers down 2 nothing, lost yesterday, a tough one. They're not as good a team as Carolina, but they're hanging in, and they're playing, I tell you, they're playing Carolina-style game, and they're still hanging around these games. And so long as you have Shesterkin, you have a chance of winning. Um, I'm an Islander fan, as you know, but uh, i got to admire what the Rangers have done. They need their top line to start playing like it, um, and they need, frankly, Antirata to start playing like the goalie uh, he's always been. He's always been, you know, a 9-10, 9-15 goalie, but he's playing out of his mind right now. Uh, also, exciting things going on um, on the baseball diamonds of our local teams. The Yankees, I mean, I, I, again, I'm a Mets fan, but they they don't have a weakness in their game. I mean, they have one or two players who probably should be playing better, but judges playing at an MVP, MVP level, the the bullpen is just lights out. Their starting pitching is great. They are a legitimately good team. But what's interesting is that they are not running away with anything. It's still still plenty of competition in the East. And the Mets, man, we're getting some tough luck. You know, Jake DeGrom is still not back. Lost Max Scherzer for a couple of months. Tyler McGill is down. And we've got to win it with hitting, I guess. And Brendan Nemo is doing the best he can. But here it is, 90 degrees here, pushing 90 degrees here in New York City. And the Mets did not play yesterday because they got, wait for it, snowed out in their game yesterday. And you might say to yourself, well, that's got to be pretty rare, like my dad said today. But no, actually, I think last year they got snowed out, their opener out against Colorado. And they've had a few of them, although usually you don't expect it to be happening in May. If they started in April, I would maybe say, okay, Colorado might be getting some snow there. And uh, so this exciting time this is a good time to be checking out baseball Usually hockey isn't still going on. Some news around my life. My brother, my brother Jason, as I think I've mentioned to you before, is he's the talented one in the family. He's the one that if there's ever the rise of the robots or the return of, of the zombies, he would survive because he is a chef. And he um, opens and runs restaurants and does the cooking. He's very talented. And his restaurant here in New York called Almond, which is on... Uh, East 21st Street between Broadway and Park Avenue South, open for 15 years, is finally closing this week. And, you know, I had a little bit of a chance to talk to him about why, because I'm curious about um, why that would be. And before I go into that story, let me just give you the number if you want to join in the conversation, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. As I said, uh, my friend Curtis is going to be coming in at the top of the hour. And we have some interesting subjects to talk over with him. And we have to talk over a few things. And we also have to make sure to pay tribute to 
Biggie Smalls. I think it is Notorious B.I.G.'s birthday. But I'm getting off on a tangent of my tangent. So I asked Jason, I said, you know, tell me about why the restaurant's closing. It's been open for 15 years. It's a big space. It's been very successful over the years. And I was interested what it is. You know, there's a lot of news about economic peril that our city might be in. And he reinforced some things that you might have already assumed. He says that, look, the the catering business is not coming back. People are not having parties like they used to. His part of the city, which is in the Gramercy area, a lot of tech firms there that have gone completely remote. So the lunch crowd isn't what it used to be. Um, and I asked him, he recently opened a, a restaurant in Palm Beach, Florida. And I said, compare and contrast. Like, is it particularly easy in one place or another? You know, we have this notion Florida is an easy place to do business. New York is difficult. And he confirmed that narrative. He said, look, it's no doubt about it. He has a restaurant also in East Hampton, New York, in uh, Bridgehampton, New York. And he said that the regulatory red tape here in New York is very difficult. But then once you're you, once you're used to it, once you know how to get up and running, which is difficult enough, he says just it is just really, really tough. Rather than someone coming and giving you a warning or giving you a, a call saying we're coming over to do inspections, make sure everything is in good shape. You know, he's getting slapped with summonses, getting dragged out of the kitchen to go into court to, you know, things like that. And just for relatively minor things. He says the taxes is overrated as a as a problem because people kind of build that into their lives. But he said that the problems with hiring is also very difficult. He says there's a real shortage of workers now that he needs to keep a restaurant going. But um, it's sad because it is a, a, a that business employs. I worked there for a little while when I got out of prison. That business employs literally dozens of people between the wait staff, the kitchen staff, and the support staff, and that's that's going to be missed. And so that's big news. And also in other news that, you know, doesn't, that is something that we have talked about here on Left versus Right before, and Curtis and I may talk about a little bit more later, the new congressional districts that are different than the old congressional districts that were different than the districts that were drawn by the legislature were approved last night at midnight or last, or yesterday. And it's going to mean a lot for, for the politicians in our town. I think the citizens, to be honest with you, the citizens usually, you know, I, you know, people say, oh, people, aren't people going to miss you when you don't run for Congress again? I, no, they'll just go on and vote for someone else. They don't view their politicians like that. Um, but a lot of politicians are going to be forced to run in communities that they're not familiar with. Some politicians are going to have to run against one another. Gerald Nadler, uh, the West Co- the, the politician from the west side of Manhattan, is going to be running against a politician from the east side of Manhattan, Carolyn Maloney. And I have to tell you something. One of those two candidates – you know, well, both of those candidates are in trouble if a third candidate gets in and said, listen, it's time for a change. You guys have both been in there for a while. Your seniority is not as valuable anymore if the Republicans take over the House. We need to we need new blood. And maybe maybe it's time for a change. And in something that Curtis and I are going to be talking about a little bit later in the district that covers the uh, the house I grew up in. Um, in Park Slope, also where I live now in lower Manhattan uh, is a new district. And I say it's a new district just because there's no incumbent living in it. It runs south from 14th Street across the island, takes in Greenwich Village, goes all the way down through Chinatown, and then goes out into Brooklyn, takes in Brownstone, Brooklyn. A guy named, at least I'm pronouncing this right, Bill de, Bla, Bill de, Bill de Blasio, I think I've, I'm saying that name right. Uh, um, he has announced that he is running. And someone named Montero Jones, who's a congressman already, he's an incumbent, but he's an incumbent for upstate New York, north of Westchester. I say anything north of the Bronx is upstate and there's going to be a whole bunch of other folks jumping into that district. And that's going to be a fascinating test as well is because it's not only a district that covers a lot of like very liberal areas, but includes some fairly conservative ones like Borough Park. Just not to 
get anyone's get anyone gossiping here, but this is the district that I represent parts of it for quite some time, and we're going to talk a little bit uh, about that as well because it's going to be fascinating. We're going to there are definitely some of our Congress people who we got used to over the course of decades, like Nadler and Maloney. Some of them are not going to be around anymore after redistricting. And the thing about this, and we're going to talk about it later, the thing about this is in the in the abstract, this is good. When you have districts that are more compact, they have districts that are more logical, less drawn to protect people and uh, uh, politicians and more drawn to keep communities together. Overall, that's a good thing. The problem is to say this is a victory against gerrymandering when every other state is drawing politically motivated lines, it makes this – frankly, it's kind of like only New York kind of laid down arms. Um, if we're going to do it, let's do this all across the country. But I think overall this is going to be good for democracy. There are people that I know that are good members of Congress that might not survive this. But there's no – there's no – you know, it, it drives me nuts when I read in the newspaper or I hear on television someone saying, oh, the Jerry Nadler district. No, he's the member of Congress that represents that district. He doesn't have any divine right to that district. Um, and the fact that he hasn't had a real primary in quite some time, that Carolyn Maloney, she just came off a pretty tough primary on the east side and almost lost it to an unknown uh, – to a relatively unknown person. I think both of them are vulnerable. Even when they go head-to-head, there's going to be a third candidate who's going to give them both fits, who's going to come in there and say, these two are part of the problem. We need change. We need things to change, and it's not going to change if we keep um, if we keep doing things the same way. And I think that that there's been a lot of discussion. Oh, this is an election of change. A red wave is coming. There is discontent on the left as well. There is discontent with with many people who are moderate Democrats who feel that the left of our party has taken too much control. There's discontent on the left of our party thinking that there have been too many compromises being made. There's general discontent with the president. I don't think anyone – not no one, but his numbers are down even among Democrats – so I think it's going to be an interesting time. Curtis has some ideas about that uh, and look forward to him. Once again, he has been kind enough and John Katsimatidis and Chad Lopez have, gang, have let me kind of take this first hour to try to learn the craft and Diego and Pete are helping me out here. And I want you to be part of the conversation as well. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. You can also go to wabcradio.com. And you can also always subscribe to this show as a podcast that you can get at any time throughout the week. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about um, the district that Joe, that uh, Bill de Blasio is running in, and that is a district that covers a, a heavily uh, conservative Orthodox Jewish community of Borough Park. And a lot of those listeners listen to this show on podcasts since they uh, they can't listen during uh, during the Sabbath. And I would encourage you to sign up not only for this show but – Every program that is here, and, and the programs have been enormously successful. If you haven't been reading the papers or you're not involved in the trades, you might not know this. But if you're a listener to WABC, you've probably heard us talk about it. This this station has gone from 25, 26th, 27th in the market and was taken over by John Katzmatidis, who really invested a lot, get, got the, made a more of a local focus, more of a, a balanced focus and uh, more, uh, uh, more opportunities for you, the listeners, to participate in programs. Um, and now it is one of the most listened to in the entire city, and it's also one of the most powerful signals in the entire country. So I'm really happy to have you aboard on this uh, Saturday afternoon. If you'd like to reach me directly, it's not terribly easy to do. I'm not a big guy on social media. I do have an old 
Twitter account uh, at Rep Wiener, R-E-P-W-E-I-N-E-R. And I have an, uh, an AOL email account, Anthony Wiener at AOL.com. And, you know, each week we try to have conversations where we go a little bit deeper into the issues of the day. We try to dig a little bit deeper. We try to get past some of the the bumper stickers, some of the shouting matches that go on, maybe even a little bit deeper than on other programs. I get the opportunity because I'm on once a week to kind of listen to the programming all throughout the the, the station, all throughout the week, and kind of I think what are the questions that come up for me as someone who is, you know, I am a, a partisan Democrat, no doubt about it, but probably by the measure of today's Democratic Party, I'm probably more of a moderate Democrat, although I advocated things like single-payer health care. I was also very strongly pro-Israel in Congress, one of the one of the real Zionists uh, um, in Congress. I used to say um, I was a member of the Zionist caucus of the Democratic Party. But um, I also recognize that there's a lot of the issues that emerge on the right side of the, of the spectrum that I want to learn more about. And so what I've tried to do over the last several weeks is to say if you take out kind of the far left and the far right and look at the folks in the middle of those people – there's really two types, I argue. One is partisan people, but who are open to ideas and who want to have a conversation about them. They're not dogmatic either way, Democrat or Republican. And probably on this station, that's more to the right than to the left. And then a whole group of people who are basically, you know, I'm going to say 30%, who just don't believe in the institutions anymore, don't believe the institutions of media, don't believe the institutions of politics, don't believe that any of it is on the level. So they've kind of checked out. And I'd like to try to get them back involved in the conversation as well. And so there are a couple of things that that happened over the week that I have been trying to figure out a way to weave together. Um, and there, you know, sometimes perhaps I'm trying to do this uh, to too great an extreme. And what we're going to do when we get back is I'm going to tell you about a call that we got last week that I got some emails about that some people complained um, that I didn't respond to the call correctly. Some people responded that I didn't give it enough credence. Some people got upset with the attention that I gave it. It was the very last call that came in, and we're going to come back after the break, and I am going to play that call, and I am going to explain how the three things I've been thinking a lot about this week. My son Jordan went to visit Ellis Island with his class. The uh, court... Uh, reinstituted Title 42, the immigration. And then right after we got off the air, I think it was the next day last week, um, the horrible shooting happened in Buffalo. And when we get back, I'm going to try to tie those things together. As you can imagine, it probably has a little bit to do with immigration. But I want to explain to you my thinking and also open the call, open the phones up at 800-848-WABC. 800-848-9222 to see if some of the heat that I got about the way I dealt with that call is warranted. This is Left versus Right. My name is Anthony Weiner. It's so great to have you with us on, on this afternoon. And when we get back, we'll dive a little bit deeper into some of the heavy issues of the day. Great to have you with us. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest.
Welcome back to Left versus Right. My name is Anthony Weiner. So great to have you along on this balmy Saturday afternoon. Curtis Lee will be joining us at the top of the hour. Um, if you'd like to join into the conversation, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. You can hear us every week at this time between uh, 2 and 4 o'clock, or you can Download the podcast on the Red Apple Podcast Network or at WABCRadio.com. You can stream it anywhere on the globe. So um, last week we had a conversation about the the baby formula shortage, and we talked about some of the stories that had emerged about some of this formula being at the border, and it turned into a little bit of a conversation about immigration. And that – I said at the time that that was fine, that, you know, these these issues sometimes cross and intermingle and – Coincidentally, this week, Jordan, my 10-year-old, went on a field trip with his classmates to Ellis Island and came back and regaled me with stories. And it was fascinating to hear his experience of it. He's learning about migration. He's learning about immigration. I told him while he was there, he should see if he could look up my great-grandfather, his great-great-grandfather, a man named Wolf Wiener, W-O-O-L-F. By the way, I try to convince Huma to name Jordan Wolf. Can you imagine being in the schoolyard in 2022 named Wolf Wiener. But anyway, you know, I, he came back with the stories, and one of the stories he came back with was the idea that um, that when you got to Ellis Island and you were given a brief health inspection to make sure you weren't bringing in any diseases, if you look sick or were sick, you got a white chalk mark put on your face, and then they directed you basically to be held for a month there at Ellis Island in what was essentially a hospital. And if you got better after a month, you were allowed to continue on your way. Um, if you did not, um, you were sent home. And that happened. His, he, we were having this conversation as Title 42, which is the provision of not the immigration law but of the health law that gives basically that right to authorities. If the, the, the Center for Disease Control says that we need to close off the borders, that's something that has been in place I think since March of – 2020, and uh, a court decision came down this week saying that it had to stay in place. And uh, so we were having these conversations about immigration. I'm thinking, you know what? I really should touch a little bit more about immigration um, because this was an issue that uh, you, know, you, the listener, uh, have expressed interest in. It's something that causes a lot of heat and sometimes doesn't cause as much light. I had done a show on immigration before, and it got a lot of calls. Uh, and then I got – a couple of angry emails about a call that we got last week just as we were going off the air. And let me play it for you. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to I'm not going to say who it was, but let me play it for you now. And then I want to talk to you about it. What I don't understand is where all these people in politics and government, lawyers, experts, whatever you want to talk about, senators, how come nobody sees that Biden is blatantly trying to take over the United States from inside. Not, we're not being attacked from outside. We've been attacked from within. And anybody who can't see that, to me, is blind. Blind. And if, unless something does something about this, this country's going to have a civil war like they've never seen in their life. And you know that as well as I do. So does everybody. You can't keep doing this. You know, you can smack a dog so many times in the mouth before he bites you. And that's what's happening to American people. So... That was the last call that came in in the the first hour and we were having this conversation. And that caller was not at all – you know, I, I cut out some of it where he said some nice things at the top. And I'm not putting his, his name on because I, I don't – you know, he I didn't ask for his permission to replay it. But I got some very negative emails about that because many people heard the program after 
what happened in Buffalo and suggested to me that I didn't do enough to push back on kind of the idea that we were on the, in the midst of a current, a current war and not just a difference of policies and politics. And I was thinking about all of this in the context of – oh, and the reason that they said that is because they heard the program and then heard the news about what happened in Buffalo and thought that maybe I, that, that person was expressing what the person in Buffalo was saying or some confluence of it which he wasn't. I don't believe he was. But it started me thinking about the idea that you know we now have reached this point in some quarters of our debate that policy questions about what kind of immigration we have, who we let in, who we don't, what kind of enforcement. I've told you that I support building the wall. I've told you I support hiring more administrative officers and holding families close to the border and getting them out quickly if they're not eligible. I've talked about all of those things. I even think that it's probably right that we continue Title 42 for an additional period of time. But when you see that there are listeners to this debate, to this conversation, to this discussion, that immigration seems to them to be almost an existential thing, that the country is under attack or that the country or that one party is in favor of of, a, of an America that is weaker or America that is so different than the one we have today – that I realize that sometimes I am having a different conversation about immigration than maybe we should be having. And I guess what I'm struggling with is it's very easy for me, after having dealt with these issues a lot in Washington, to talk about the law of immigration, to talk about Title 42, to talk about the fact that we that the the fact that there's a labor shortage in this country and that and that strawberries aren't getting picked because we don't have immigrants that, that can come in who want to then leave. I can talk about all of those things, but if people don't believe that there's goodwill on both sides, that we are somehow in the midst of something that is much, much bigger, like someone wants to weaken the country or make it stronger, that we're on the verge of a civil war, this person who did this violence in Buffalo this kid, he had it in his head that what was going on, that immigration wasn't a question of policy or issue. He had it in his head that it was a threat to him and his life and his way of being and, his, and the very country that he lives in. And he went in and shot people dead. And I want to make sure that we have a conversation here that honors the idea that, you know what, we have to not, we should have our political debates as, 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 Tough as we think they should be and we can raise our voices and we can write op-eds and we can go and vote and we can throw the bums out. Um, but we have to be careful because some people that are listening to this debate believe that it is really a question akin to a civil war. And the reason I bring it back to Jordan's visit to Ellis Island is throughout history, since, the, since 1898 when my great-grandfather came and even earlier than that, right till to today, the debates about immigration have been going on in very similar ways. There has been this notion that people come to this country, look behind them at, at the turnstile at Ellis Island and say, get out of my country. There have been just my, my, my ancestors, many of you who are listening, your ancestors, this notion of, of the group that are here being hostile to new people that come in. I get it. It's, it's a thing in our country and we try to manage and we try to figure out the policies that we should have. But we have to realize that at the end of the day – this is a question of government policy and there's not, as I have described before, not a huge difference between what the two sides are saying when it comes to policy. If we ever wanted to sit down 
And uh, and we wanted to say to the extremes on both sides, you guys wait while we try to solve this problem. It's not that hard to do. Now, people say to me, well, yes, but then it was different. Not really. There were some differences. No, no doubt about it. I mean, there's some differences that by and large people were coming by boat, for example. So it's much easier than trying to manage a 2,000-mile border. But by and large, the issues are the same. What people we want to come in, how we make sure that there are people that serve our needs as a growing country, how we make sure that, that people who are following the rules don't have the line jumped by people who are not, how we keep out people who mean us harm, how we throw out people who don't follow the rules. All of these are laws that need to get passed. These are laws that have to get passed in Congress and enforced by the president and by the courts. That's at the end what it comes down to. Now, we can have a disagreement, and I'm interested in what you have to say, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. But we have to also be mindful of the idea that the language that we use and the way that we portray this thing does get out there in a way that's much more dangerous than it used to be. And before we go to the calls, I just want to point out something. I did a whole show about the pernicious effect of social media and the internet on the most hateful hate speech that's out there. Well, this is an example. This guy that did this shooting cut and pasted a manifesto from the guy that did the shooting in Christchurch, he, which was from a document that was also the foundation of the beliefs of the, of the Oklahoma City bomber. The difference is the Oklahoma City bomber had to go out to a gun show and buy this pamphlet, this so-called book where it had this manifesto about white replacement theory originated. Nowadays, this guy just had to go find it online, download a PDF, and he was off to the races. And to make it even more horrific, he was able to then go and live stream that there were 15 viewers on, on Discord, someone doing this murder. He was then able – he was like 22 people were watching his stream on Twitch. And as of today, um, over a million people have watched his video even though you know the, the social media companies say that they've tried to take it down. All the while, 10 people are dead, three people are injured in one of the worst racial attacks in our country's history. So it matters how we have this conversation. This is why I think WABC does a service because we try to have a conversation that even when we disagree, and a lot of people may disagree with me today, we should understand that no, this is not a civil war. No, we are Americans. We are unified by far more than divides us. Yes, politicians will seek to make everything a life or death thing, vote for them or the world is going to catch fire. But at the end of the day, the policies that we come up with rely upon us saying these are problems we can solve, that ultimately these are, pro- these are bridges that we can cross. We've done it before in our history. We can do it again. So that's my l- little bit about it. Um, I'd love to hear what, what, uh, what you have to say. Um, and uh, let's go to some of the calls. I appreciate all the people participating. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. A little later, we're going to be talking to uh, Curtis Lee at the top of the hour. Left for, he's the right of left versus right, although we find ourselves in the middle frequently. He has some interesting things to say about Columbus statues, which is kind of a little bit like the issue we're talking about today. And we're also going to talk about um, our friend, I'm trying to figure out how to say his name, Bill de, 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 de Blasio, who's apparently running for Congress. But now let's go to the phones about about the issue of immigration. Uh, let's first go to Jim on Long Island. Hey, Jim, thank you for joining us today. Hey, Anthony. Uh, it's nice to talk to you. First off, I, I really enjoy you. I, I'm glad you came back and your conversations are great. I always listen to Curtis because he always brings the left the left on, the right of the right on, and down the middle is where I like to think I go. 
So that said, last week you made a comment about immigration, and the immigration was that once they come across the border, if they plead uh, a threat to their life, we can't send them back. And that was the constitutional thing that you, I believe you quoted. Is that correct? Not exactly. What I did say is that we have a process that if you're in this country, you can make a claim for asylum and you can try to prove asylum before that you're removed. Now, that is uh, Title 42 is minimized that some. But we were talking about children and families and for children and families, they have that right. Yes. Correct. So uh, I understand that once they come here and they. They plead that thing because of their, their existing here. But the, the, can't we just let them I mean, do what we did before and check them over there? They really have a valid case, bring them over here as opposed to just let the hundreds of thousands cross the border and then deal with it once they get here? Because it seems like we're, we're dealing with more than just those who plead asylum. Is that correct? Yeah. So you're exact. That's a great plan. And that's the Biden plan. What he wants to do is to set up places within these countries, not just Mexico. I mean, the problem is now the immigration problem we have today is really not a Mexican problem. It is a problem with Honduras, Guatemala, Ecuador, these other countries that have been ravaged by covid have economic problems, have instability. So the idea is to try to get those 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 people not to come to the border to do that process, but to do it within their own countries. That's the, that's what we're trying to set up. We're trying to set up now. But you're exactly right. That would be the best way to handle this. Okay, and what was maybe I was wrong, but wasn't that the plan before? Wasn't that the process before he took office? Well, there is still, technically speaking, a. a, a, a it's not really a treaty. It's a remain in Mexico idea that we still send back. For example, under Title 42, which is this thing that's in the news today, um, it basically says that if you're a single adult and you can't make a humanitarian claim at all when you come over nowadays, you get turned right around. And so what does turned around mean? Turned around means we put you on a bus and basically dump you back in Mexico. Now, a couple of border stops in Mexico said we're not taking these anymore and so now we're doing what are called lateral transfers to these people but that's what we're doing we're putting them on a bus and taking away their belongings and taking away usually their money and whatever else and we're dumping them back that's what's happening under title 42 now the problem with that and we you know title 42's problem the ti- the problem with that is they are not technically being taken into custody then so they can keep they're going they keep trying since they, 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 since there's no reason why they shouldn't, and they they keep trying to come in other ways, but yeah, I mean, basically, that remain in Mexico is still the policy of the Biden administration. They they have said so, but that doesn't change much because the perception is that a lot of people have, maybe correctly, that when Biden came in, they can take another try. That's why so many people are are showing up. Uh, but thank you very much, Jim. That that was a, it was a, a great input. Um, let me see. Uh, how about uh, uh, Eddie in Manhattan? Eddie, go ahead. Thank you for joining us today. <clears throat> Hi, Mr. Weiner. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Eddie. Well, well, this is Eddie, the doorman, Sutton Place. Uh, what I understand is every year, one million people become approximately American citizens every year, and still they cannot fix the border crisis and. No other country in the world has a million people that become American citizens like my parents from Yugoslavia. I mean, and all over the world. And still, it's like a tug of war. Do you think that's a lot or a little? I'm sorry? Do you think that's a lot or a little, Eddie? I think it's amazing that we have a million people of all countries, all faiths that become American citizens. I love it. But still, when each side tries to fix the border crisis, it's like a tug of war. 
they, they need to work together with people like you, Mr. Weiner. You have a good mentality. You got to work together. Well, I appreciate Everybody should get the credit. Well, I appreciate You know, Eddie, you're exactly right. I mean, here's the problem that we have. And I summarized it when we did this episode a couple of, a couple of weeks ago. You can get that, um, on the Red Apple Podcast Network or anywhere you download this podcast. We, we cover the, cover this show. Part of the problem is that traditionally, you know, we have a real labor shortage in this country and labor shortage in places that immigrants frequently fill. Coming up with a program to check to make sure that they really have a job, to let them leave when they want to leave, which a lot of them want to leave. They want to make the money and then leave. Let them work and then go on their way. That's kind of the easy part. Having some kind of a work visa is relatively easy. The problem is on the left, on the far left, there are some people that say we want to let in almost everyone. And some people on the far right say anytime you let anyone come in, it's a violation of our sovereignty. And so Congress is doing nothing. But Eddie is not wrong. Uh, he is right that there are common sense solutions in the middle. People want to come here. We need the workers. We need the workers. I mean, we we have part of the reason we have inflation right now is there are a lot of sectors that don't have the workers that they need. I talked about how my, my brother's restaurant closed. You know, he has people, and as far as he's concerned, they're documented. They give him social security numbers, but I know that a lot of them probably aren't. They're operating with fake social security numbers. But the fact is that migration, immigration is an important part of the way we grow our economy. Finding a solution is not hard on paper, but very hard in politics. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about this. And when Curtis joins us at the top of the hour, we're going to find out about his solution or his idea for how we deal with the Christopher Columbus statues. And I'm going to tell you a funny story about a statue I try to remove outside my Kew Gardens office and how it really backfired on me. Left versus right on W77 WABC. I'm Anthony Weiner. I'll see you on the other side. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Welcome back to Left vs. Right. My name is Anthony Weiner. We'll be joined by Curtis Lee with the top of the hour. 77 WABC Talk Radio, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We're talking about immigration, but we're also talking about where the immigration debate sometimes goes a little bit off the rails. Um, you know, I am coming at this as someone who was on the Judiciary Committee, who tried to come up with solutions who remembers being in the White House under uh, uh, George W. Bush when they were trying to put together a coalition of Democrats and Republicans to try to come up with common sense solutions to this and um, how it fell apart because people screamed, oh, it's amnesty, it's amnesty. Marco Rubio, a leading candidate for president, arguably is never going to be president because he joined that group with us to try to come up with these solutions. And I played a call that we got last week where – Someone implied that we were leading to civil war over this, and and I don't believe that we are, but I got some criticism for not addressing that more more directly. Um, and so we're trying to come up with a way to talk about these things. Immigration, it's, I'm not saying it's an easy issue, but I am saying that if we agree on the parameters, that there are some people who we want to permit to come into our country, that there are ways that we want to make sure that whoever's here is here legally, that we make sure that we don't let anyone cut the line, that we make sure that we're kept safe, that people coming in this country don't mean us harm. Immigration, migration is part of the formula for what made this country great. 
And we all have different views of what that is. And my son Jordan visited Ellis Island this weekend, uh, this week rather, with his class um, and got a chance to look through the looking glass of how it used to be. In many ways, we say that, oh boy, why can't America be what it used to be? In many ways, this debate about immigration is exactly the way it's been, unfortunately, for decades and decades. Um, and we have to make sure that we go about the same process of trying to solve it as we have in the past. Um, next, let's go to some more calls about this. The board is filling up pretty much. Um, this says, uh, uh, Bill, are you in Bradley Beach? Uh, yes, hey, Donna. I'm doing well, Bill. Thanks for calling again. I, I'm glad to have you. Uh, yeah, um, first off, the, the kid you, you used for this, like, the, you know, to start the Civil War, which I hope we, it isn't either. But uh, he... Didn't he want to kill his uh, class one week and 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 commit suicide? And that then you're, you're pick everybody's picking and choosing what works for them out of his manifestos. But this kid's all over the place. So I, I don't know. I I, I have no idea what he is. He's I know he's a nut, but and a violent nut at that. And that, that's that's another story. But I have no idea what's actually this. I haven't spent all week reading every every word for word every minute of the day. Maybe you have. So. But anyway, I think it's a bad, uh, it's a bad, and people are using him for what they've been waiting for 18 months. So, so, but anyway, do you think the border was better when Trump left than it is now? Well, I mean, look, there was a huge influx in, remember, in 2019. We've had these influxes before. I think we have been stuck, and I appreciate the call, Bill, and I appreciate you, you, you being a listener. I hope you call back again. I think that we've had problems all along. I think that from an economic perspective, there was nothing that changed under uh, President Trump. The, we didn't fix anything. Now, you know, I to, I've said before that I'm the rare progressive that believes we should build a wall. I think it's – I don't think it's going to do all that much good, but I do think it helps move the debate. I think we've all got to show that we're willing to give a little bit. But did we solve the problems of the undocumented here? No. Did we solve the problem that when my brother who runs a restaurant is trying to check if someone's really here legally that he can't do it because we don't have a system set up? No. Did he change the the problem that a lot of people are, are working, paying taxes, that have, have come here and are really participating in the American dream and yet we have no process to get them out of the shadows? And no, we haven't done any of that stuff. In, in a way, all we heard for years was the wall, the wall, the wall, the wall. And I'm saying that this is a much more complicated issue. But I can't let it go by, you know, just to say that 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 the, the shooter in Buffalo, he had this and he had that. No, this guy, he believed he answered these questions very thoroughly. He believed in certain terrible racist things and about this whole notion of white replacement theory and everything else. And it's not a new thing. And I, and the one thing that's frustrated me about this conversation, it is perfectly OK to be a very conservative person and be be anti Biden and be anti immigration. and Also say that what this guy did was Terrible, racist, horrible, and he should be prosecuted. Uh, next, let's go to Wendy on the Upper West Side. Go ahead, Wendy. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. So I think when it comes to immigration, I think Americans in general are very generous and caring. But what we really don't like is chaos. So the immigration situation, it feels like chaos. And politicians have not addressed this chaos in a meaningful way for over 30 years, maybe maybe 40 years. And so that is where I think the palpable anger comes from, because people sit back and they watch this chaos and they see politicians not doing their job. 
And in our jobs, if we didn't solve the problem for 30 or 40 years, well, we would get fired. So I I think it's really coming from that. Yes. Wendy, you you. That's exactly if I'm going to pull one call to replay next week and maybe the week after, that would be it. Look, you're exactly right. But something that you've got to keep in mind, it is in the interest of some political players that this continue to be the same. There are some issues that people like so much because it benefits them so much that chaos is what they want. So this is where the Title 42 thing comes in. Title 42 has not really solved any problem. It's just added to more chaos. Now you've got this crazy situation where, where mostly unaccompanied men are coming under Title 42. They are taken, put on a bus, taken to, taken back to the border and dumped into Mexico and, and they come back and they try again and again and again because this isn't an, this is not an immigration crime they're committing. It's a health crime that they're committing. And so they don't have any, there's no real sanction. That's the, the point that I'm making about immigration is that is that if people want to make an issue out of this, and there's no doubt about it, it's a red-hot issue that cuts very well for Republicans. If they want to make an issue of it, they want the status quo. If you want to solve the problem, Wendy, me, the other callers that call into this show who are looking for solutions, we can come up with it. I laid it out a couple of weeks ago. The common-sense middle on this, and we're talking about immigration right now, is very simple. Oh, that's not very simple to say. Thirteen and a half million people are here that are undocumented. We can't find them. We're not going to go arrest all of them. We'll never find them. Of those 13 and a half million, a lot of them are paying taxes. They're paying payroll taxes. They're paying Social Security taxes. They've got fake Social Security numbers. They're sending their kids to school. They've learned English. They're participating in the economy. They're giving, not taking. If we can figure out and say to them, here's your temporary worker ID card. Pay a fine for coming in this way. You get at the end of the line for citizenship, not the front. Anyone who doesn't show up and come out of the shadows and take that ID card from us. And by the way, if you're an employer, you've got to find you. If, if an employee comes in, doesn't have that temporary worker card, you and you hire them, you're a criminal. And then anyone who doesn't show up, let's say it's 500,000 of those or maybe 600,000. We go and treat them like the people that we need to go and catch. As far as the border is concerned, yes, build a wall. Hire more administrative officers. They don't all have to be judges. That's a myth. They don't all have to be expensive judges, administrative officers. If you come in at the border and you claim asylum, a quick process to either say you're worthy of it or you're not. And if you're not, we turn you around within weeks, not within years or, or, or beyond that. After that, what we do is we say as a country, you know, we, we have a process that if you apply – and you wait your turn, we're going to get to you quickly. We're not going to make you wait years and years and years and years. And if there are people that want to come in and work seasonally, want to come pick strawberries, want to come pick almonds, and you will have a temporary worker program like we've had in the past that lets you not only come in, lets you leave. Right now, our immigration laws are keeping people in, not out. And the other thing to do is what the gentleman who called earlier said to do. Don't show up at our border. You want to make an application? You think you, you're ready to be an American? In that case, you go apply in your home country and wait there. Don't get in a dangerous caravan. Don't take your children with you. Don't show up at the border unannounced. Do it that way. Now, that's the broad outline. That's the solution. That's the thing that I think that Wendy wants to see, like real answers to this problem. But make no mistake about it. There are politicians who have made the chaos of immigration part of why they exist and they want it to exist. This is hurting President Biden. No doubt about it. It's hurting Democrats. No doubt about it. So what is the incentive on the Republicans to go try to fix this problem? None. They like it. 
But if we, the citizens, say we don't like it and we're going to throw people out who are at the fringe and we're going to try to find the common sense middle like John Katsimatidis talks about on this network all the time, then we can solve these problems. Um, next, let's go to Marvin in the city. Marvin, thank you for holding on. I appreciate your call. Uh, yeah, um, this is Marvin, New York City. I'm 91 years old. And uh, you're talking about uh, Jews coming into America. Well, 25 years ago, I did a show on Channel 21, a laugh, a tear, a mitzvah. Everybody should get that show. If you turn to Channel 121 right now where they should be playing something like that, you'll see a cooking show. But if you really want to know how the Jews came to America, a laugh, a tear, a mitzvah. It's an old show. But a wonderful program to to show uh, you how the Jews came into a America. Laugh, a, a laugh, a tear, and a mitzvah. Everyone should go get that. Marvin in New York City recommends it. And uh, he's going strong at 91. I'm glad you're listening, Marvin. Call us again soon. Um, next, we'll go to Steve in Central Jersey. Steve, thank you for holding on. Hi, Anthony. Uh, let me just uh, offer a comment here on the gentleman last week. I don't think we're headed for a civil war. That's good news. Uh, and by the, the gentleman, the excuse me, the guy, the alleged shooter in Buffalo, uh, he is not a patriotic American. He is an evildoer. Justice be swift and let him be punished to the fullest extent of the law. Having said that, what runs your party today, I want to make this clear, and this is where this gentleman was coming from a week ago, is a radical left. Let's call them what they are, supporters of a communist ideology. Anthony, there is no, unlike you, I think you are a bit of a left of center Democrat. There's room for compromise between you and me. There is no, a patriotic American like me, there's no compromising with that, Anthony. All right, so if they're going to come and try to take away my right to live in freedom, yes, we're going to have to fight. What do you say to that? Now, that, that's where your party's at. They position themselves firmly on the left, and they want to take them away, my right to live in freedom. What do you say to that? Well, I we appreciate that. I appreciate, Stephen. I appreciate the spirit that you're asking the question. I appreciate you being a listener. Um, look, here's what I would say. I would say, first of all, the, to say that, that, that the Democratic Party is enthralled to its far left, it's true that there's a, there is a very vibrant left-wing progressive wing, but they keep losing elections. I mean, Joe Biden was chosen against a whole field of people like that. Um, Bernie Sanders did not defeat Hillary Clinton, got squashed by her. Uh, just the other day um, in, in the primaries around the country, the, sure, we had some some far left candidates win. But if anything, there are probably a much stronger energy on the far right of the Republican Party. But the governing center, I believe, is still the same in our country. No one is coming. No one's no one's dragging the Democratic Party into socialism because, frankly speaking, we would lose too many elections that way. Now, it does not say that that is not a talking point that I hear from the Republicans a lot is not. I mean, just the same way you hear Democrats refer to the insurrectionists on, on January 6th. I don't think that represents the heart of the Republican Party either. Those elements do exist today, and I think they have much too big a megaphone. On stations like ours, I don't think they represent, and I've said this a hundred times about this program, I am of the thesis that there's 10 on the left, 10 on the right, but that the overwhelming number of people who listen to the station, who think about politics, are people that have a clear partisan bent like Steve does and that I do, but are people that who could, if we sat down on a table over a sandwich and, and, and a beer, I mean, I don't drink, but over a sandwich and a drink, we would be able to solve some of these problems because we have we have, we understand the nature of this country is compromise. So I think that it's exaggerated, and I want to just remind all of you before we go to the break that there is a reason why both parties exaggerate the power of the fringes on the other side. 
That's where the boogeymen are. The boogeyman is the AOCs. The boogeyman is the January 6th insurrectionists. Yes, they both exist and we should deal with them both. Not that they're equivalent. I would much rather have someone saying they support single-payer single payer health care than, than, than striking a police officer on the steps of the Capitol. But the point is the same. We use these boogeymen because they're in our interest politically. Here on WABC, we try to push that off and we try to talk about the issues. As we go to a break, when we come back, we're going to have Curtis Lee at the top of the hour. We're going to have a few more minutes talking about immigration. Some great calls have come in already. It's a great conversation that we're having. Join us on the other side. I'm Anthony Weiner. This is Left versus Right. Great to have you with us. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. And welcome back to Left vs. Right. I'm Anthony Weiner. Curtis is coming in at the top of the hour. We're going to have some fun and uh, talk about some of the issues around the city. If you'd like to join in, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222, or wabcradio.com, all around the globe. So we're going to try to knock out some um, some calls here. It's really great to have you along. We're having a conversation about immigration and what's great about our country. Uh, Margie on the Upper West Side. Go ahead, Margie. Thank you for joining us. For you. Hi, Margie. I'm good. Um, I just wanted to compliment you. I'm, I'm a Republican, not a Democrat, but I'm enjoying you, listening to you very much. I think you make a lot more sense than some of the other talk show hosts. And I hope that Mr. Katsimatidis sees, sees right to give you your own show someday because you deserve it. Oh, that's, that's very nice of you, Margie, being a Republican on the Upper West Side. You're, uh, you're getting it from all sides, but I appreciate you being a listener here. I, uh, I appreciate you joining in. Uh, next, let's go to Mary in Pennsylvania. Mary, how are you? Hey, how are you, Anthony? I'm good, Mary. So I have to say, in the beginning, I was like, you know, I'm not going to be a fan of you because I'm a conservative. Today, you won me over. Why, in God's name, they didn't listen to you or Congress, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I, I want to tell you, first of all, Mary, it's very kind of you to say, but I mean, look, my experience in Congress was that there's so many incentives on elected officials once you get there to be concerned about getting primaried by your left or your right, if you're a Democrat or Republican, that there's not a lot of reward for being someone who tries to find the middle ground. I'll give you an example. When you walk down the street, hardly anyone comes up to you when you're a politician and says, hey, congressman, do me a favor, go compromise on immigration. They don't say that. They don't say, hey, do me a favor, go compromise on privatizing Social Security or something like that. There's not a lot of incentive to do it. But what used to be Back in the day, and I worked on Capitol Hill in the 80s, and thanks for joining us, Mary. Back in the, in the Capitol Hill in the 80s, before the age of, I don't know what it is, shout, I don't know, I don't know what's different, but it used to be that people would go do their campaigning, and then they would go to Washington, quietly get together and try to do the right thing, and there was such an important center of gravity behind doing it that compromise got made. It's getting harder and harder for that to happen. Um, next is uh, Andrew in Suffolk. Andrew, thank you so much. I'm sorry to keep you holding so long. Go ahead, buddy. Hey, Anthony. How you doing? I'm doing well. Um, a lot of the problem is not the American people. A lot of the problem are those in government. <laughs> and let me, as far as division in the country, back to when Reagan was president, he was very conservative and far right. Tip O'Neill was quite liberal. Somehow they managed to have a, you know, 
the proverbial glass of scotch and compromise. How, how can we have a good discourse when there are people like Maxine Waters promoting what she was promoting? How can we have a good discourse than, than what we witnessed in, in the summer of 2020? The, the Congress has to be the problem solvers, not the problem causers. And for, to even try to think about how the far left could be unhappy with Biden, I don't know, because he's done everything they've asked for. You know, and he would sign anything that they put on his desk. So what are they so angry about? Well, I appreciate it. And Andrew, you've, you've touched on, you've touched on a really important thing. You know, I, I was happened to work on Capitol Hill for my predecessor, Chuck Schumer, in the 80s when Ronald Reagan was the president and when Tip O'Neill was the speaker. And it is true. There used to be a, a, a benefit that you would get if you would sit down to try to solve the nation's problems. And today, the partisanship that exists, not just across parties, but within each party, and I talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago about Twitter, the pressure to be pure on the left, pure on the right in the eyes of those fringes is profound. The fact is, though, that that at least on the Democratic side, I mean, Joe Biden was not, he's never been that guy. But And when he ran in the primaries, he ran to the right of the rest of the field. But this is a problem in both parties, Andrew. You cannot simply point out the Maxine Waters or the AOCs and not point out the fact that there was literally an insurrection on the left of people who are still today are trying to overturn the election that was of the American people. Well, listen, this has been an amazing conversation. This is exactly what I hoped for when I asked John Katsimatidis and he gave permission for me to kind of come on here and have some of these conversations. This is Common Sense Left and Common Sense Right. We're going to be joined by the Common Sense Man in a Red Beret after the break, Curtis Lewa, here on Left vs. Right when we get back. <laughs> 